Hey, you can go ahead and unmute me. All right. Thank you. Hey, um, that's kind of a, a silly uh, little John Chris video. We've shown some of those videos before. But he pretends to be a, a missions leader, right? Uh, and I don't know how many of you how many of you have been on a mission trip of any kind. It doesn't have to be to a foreign country, but you've been on a mission trip of some kind. And there, there is kind of, he makes light of it, but there is a lot of truth to what he's doing, right? The matching t-shirts because, um, in part, you want everybody to know that you're on a mission trip, right? Um, it's kind of what we uh, are guilty of as the church. A lot of times we want people to know that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, right? And he talks about taking pictures. How many times have you seen people go to a foreign country and they take pictures with kids in an orphanage and they post it on Instagram or Facebook or whatever? And, um, and there's all of these different elements of it. And it's, it's funny because he's kind of making fun of us. Um, kind of making fun of himself as well there. And there's nothing inherently wrong with any of those things, right? Um, of taking pictures and documenting the work that you're doing and, and painting schools. There's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, um, there are certain ways to do mission trips, right? There are certain ways to go and to serve people. And a lot of times we, we make it kind of an event rather than an actual mission. And, and tonight, what I want us to look at real quickly is in Acts chapter 13, this church, the, one of the very first bodies of believers to ever really gather together is the church at Antioch. They, not only do they begin to serve Jesus together as the local church, but they, they understand that they need to then begin to send the, the different components, the different parts of the body, the members, if you will, out into the world to point people in the direction of the gospel of Jesus. They weren't content to just sit and to enjoy the growth of the church in Antioch. They decided that they needed to answer the call of Jesus in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. And so they choose Paul and Barnabas in particular to send them out, okay? And so we're going to read in Acts chapter 13, um, and then we're going we're gonna to look at, uh, at three different stops. If you're taking notes, Paul and Barnabas really make three different stops in this mission trip. It's kind of a long trip. It's a little bit longer um, than your, your average mission trip. They're going to make three stops, and we're going to look at that. And I'm going to try to get my voice to hold up the whole time. It is um, not looking good. So chapter 13, <clears throat> verse 1. It says, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, uh, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. If you've ever wondered why we, before a mission trip, we commission people on Sunday mornings, mission teams, we pray for them. This is where we take this. It's not like just something that, that Stuart made up one day. It's like, hey, we should pray for people before they go on a mission trip. This is a very biblical thing. They laid hands, fasted, and prayed for Barnabas and Saul as they go off. So <clears throat> in verse 4, it says, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, that's important, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish, Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You, son of the devil... You enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, 
Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia, and on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said this, Men of Israel, you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. In verse 18, it says, And for about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed them, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all of my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he had promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all people of Israel. And as John was finishing uh, his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me, one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, for us has been sent the message of the salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled uh, them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, They took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. We're going to skip down um, here. Uh, Actually, we'll we'll come back to that in just a second. But I want us to see real quickly that that Paul and Barnabas, they're going to make three stops, okay, in three different places, and we're going, to, we're going to learn a little bit of a valuable lesson about each one of these stops. Kind of some words of wisdom, some advice for when we are on mission for God. Now, I want to say a few things about this. First of all, I want us to understand that, that it doesn't require us to travel off to a far-off land to be on mission with God. You can be on mission for God, with God, to other people right where you are, Okay? Uh, you are a missionary in your school. A lot of you are missionaries in your home. You're missionaries on your sports teams and in your extracurricular activities. You have people all around you who are in desperate need of the hope of Jesus Christ. Okay, right here. Your Jerusalem, your surrounding area, to use the Acts 1 8 uh, model. But specifically tonight, what I want us to, to look at is, is how we are to go when we are sent out by the church as missionaries. Many of you will go in just a few short weeks to Miami on a mission trip, right, for, for a week, right? Right around the corner, many of you will go, and because you have put in time and effort all, all year to, to learn songs and memorize music and that kind of deal, 
you will have doors open to you and opportunities open to you for you to share with other people about the hope of Jesus, the hope that you have received in Jesus and the hope that they could have in Jesus, okay? Some of you uh, will go to Vermont in July on a mission trip. Others of you will go other places. Uh, some of you uh, have never been on a trip like this. Um, some of you have been on several. But what I want us to see is that this, this journey um, off to uh, another place to spread the hope of Jesus um, is, is not kind of the, the character that we saw with John Chris. It, it's, a, it's a real opportunity for you to glorify and honor God and give hope to people who are in desperate need of it. So if you're going to Miami, you're going to see people who are uh, struggling with addiction. You're going to see others who are simply uh, going through a, a very difficult, rough patch in their life who are either without a home, without a job, they're struggling financially or with their family situation. Um, others who have struggled with death or loss or in the middle of uh, indescribable grief. You're going to meet people who, um, in Miami, who pull up next to you. Literally, you will never see cars anywhere else in the world that you'll see in Miami. You'll see uh, Bugattis pull up next to you as you are talking to a homeless man on the corner. And the juxtaposition of someone who is, is riding around in, in a $500,000 car next to someone who just wants a bottle of water. And, and both need the same message of hope. And so that's what Paul and Barnabas face as they leave the comfort of the church in Antioch and go out into a foreign place. So, stop one. They stop in a place called Cyprus. Anybody know where Cyprus is? Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. All right. I'm not going to make you point to it on the map, but it's a little island there in the Mediterranean. Um, and so Cyprus was an island. So go back to verse 4. So so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus, okay? And what I want us to see, I want us to see three things about this. The first, in verses 4 through 7, we see that some people will be open to God's word. Notice the first place they went is they went to the Jewish synagogue, okay? They went to the Jewish synagogue because they already had a connection there. John was there, okay? John Mark is there. He is already proclaiming the word of God. But they, they knew that they had common ground with the people of the synagogue because they were Jewish, and so they knew that they already believed in the Old Testament. They already believed in Yahweh God. They already believed in the prophets. They already believed in Messiah. They just simply didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But there's a lot of common ground to work with there. There are going to be people when you are out on the mission field who are going to have a lot in common. There are going to be people that say, oh, yeah, church, yeah, I, I grew up in church. Yeah, I, 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 understand. I know the stories of Abraham. I know about Moses. I know about David and Goliath. There are going to be people that you have words uh, in common with, people that understand what you're talking about, and people that have a desire to have a conversation with you. There are going to be people that are open to God's word. Now, it doesn't mean that everyone that's open to the word of God hasn't, uh, has entered into a relationship with Jesus. These people who were sitting in this Jewish synagogue, they understood who God was, and they were still looking for Messiah. The problem was that they had missed Messiah. And so they're bringing the news of the hope of Jesus Christ to them. You're going to encounter people who are open and ready to have conversations with you. Has anybody ever been on choir tour or some other mission trip where you've had a good conversation with someone about Jesus? Okay? <clears throat> I remember hearing a lot of stories from some of you of past trips and, 
And others of you that haven't been on trip, no doubt you have good stories as well. But there are going to be times where you, you have a lot of really good, productive conversations. There are going to be times when you're on choir tour or, or elsewhere where people see you singing and they see you serving, they see you passing out bottles of water or flyers or whatever. You're going to do some really cool stuff in Miami um, with some conversations that you're going to have in downtown Miami, uh, right down the street from Miami Beach. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be amazing. And you're going to have incredible opportunities to talk to people. And there's going to be times where people just want to, want to come up to you and talk to you, right? There are going to be times like that. And, and that's what they experience in the synagogue. And so that's a very real possibility. But then there's going to be others that oppose God's word. Sometimes people will be open to God's word. Sometimes people are going to oppose God's word. And so you have this magician, right, who uh, <coughs> refers to himself as Bar-Jesus, okay, um, whose name is Elymas. And he opposes this idea of Christianity, okay, what was known as the way at this point. He opposes it uh, vehemently. He, he is completely against it. He's speaking out against it, and he's trying to do sorcery against it, okay? And so you're going to encounter people that are completely opposed to you being where you are. They're going to be completely opposed to any kind of conversation. Anybody go on, I don't know if there's anybody here, anybody go on the Texas trip, y'all remember the cafeteria scene um, there in a homeless shelter where um, I think maybe Jake Brown maybe was uh, sharing his testimony and, and someone is yelling and screaming about how they want us to be out of that place and that they hated Christians. And I mean, it was, it was a, an, interesting, an interesting moment. I've been in Haiti when there were uh, voodoo witch doctors who were uh, circling around, literally circling around uh, where we were. I've been in Africa where there were Islamic uh, uh, imams and, and other uh, Muslim leaders who were completely opposed to what we were doing. This is going to happen. People are going to reject what you're telling them. You have to understand that, that the gospel is offensive in a lot of ways to a lot of people because it requires, it requires something of us, right? And so there are going to be people that are open to it and receptive to it, but there are also going to be people that are opposed to God's word. If you're right taking notes, you can look at that in verses 8 and 11 when you go back. And take a look at this. In verse 12, some people will embrace God's word. There are going to be times where the message of hope is shared and people are going to respond. They're going to embrace that. So if you've been on choir tour before, you've been in the Love Lady Center or you've been, um, you know, in a shelter in Cincinnati or the Helping Up Mission in Baltimore uh, or a juvenile detention center that we've sung at, there are going to be people who embrace it. There are going to be people that make decisions to trust in Jesus as a result of the faithfulness of the church and the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's exciting, right? That's exciting to see people have their lives changed. There are also going to be people that embrace it after you're gone, where you never actually see the fruit. You never actually see what happens. Maybe the next group comes in, or maybe a counselor at that, that facility talks with and prays with somebody and it's because of your testimony or a solo that you sing or it's because of some signs that you hold up or it's just because a group of teenagers give up a week of their lives to come and to serve that they begin to ask questions and they're, they're ultimately led to an understanding of who Jesus is as a result of that. There are going to be people that em embrace that, right? There are going to be people that, that trust in Jesus because of what you're doing. <clears throat> That's the first stop that we see. Now, the second stop is in a place called Perga, which is not talked about for very long, but in verse 13 it says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga, 
and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But then they went from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And so what we see here is um, a couple things. One, we see that John Mark is leaving, okay? John Mark leaves the group. He's traveling with Paul and Barnabas, and he leaves, okay? What we're going to find out later on is that there's a little bit of conflict here um, between these guys. Anybody ever been on a long trip with family or with friends or with church, and by the end of the trip, you end up kind of hating each other? Anybody ever done that? Right? Okay, yes. Um, so this is why I have so much fun doing your rooming assignments uh, for stuff, because I know whoever I put you with, inevitably, you're going to end up hating them by the end of the week. Um, so it's super fun. All right? We all, we all get a little bit tired of each other, right? Where it's close proximity. You're riding a bus together for like 12 hours at a time. You're sharing a room together, right? That's the why there's always the advice I give college students. You never room in college with your best friend because they'll no longer be your best friend. It's just kind of how it works out. Um, it, it just doesn't work very well. Um, so I don't know if I've told this story in here or not, but um, when I was, um, I was, I think I was 11, maybe, almost 11, I was 10. <coughs> My family and I had moved to Seattle, Washington for a couple years, and we were moving back, all right? And so um, we were moving back, and the picture is this. Um, in my family, it's my mom, my dad, me, my brother, and my sister, okay? Um, and so we're moving back from Seattle, Washington, and um, unlike, like, normal people, we, like, moved ourselves all across country, didn't hire a moving company, uh, didn't fly back. So we drove from Seattle back to Mississippi, which um, it took us five days to drive up there. Um, on the way back, we were going to take our time. We went to, like, Yellowstone, uh, Yellowstone National Park and did some stuff, whatever. We're going to make it, like, a vacation as we're traveling across country. Anyway, my dad's driving the biggest U-Haul truck that they make, and on the back of it, he has a trailer uh, that has his uh, pickup truck on it. Um, pickup truck's packed full of stuff, like the front seat's packed. Uh, the back um, has, like, a camper shell thing on it. It's packed. Um, no room in it for anything. My mom's driving this huge van that had like an extended roof. It was like old school. I know you like have the, uh, the TVs built into the headrest now, but back then in 1994, TVs weren't really a, a common thing in vehicles. But this one had a little small black and white TV that was about this big built into the top. It had a VCR on one side and uh, the original Nintendo on the other side. It was super sweet. Um, and so we're all riding in there, and that van is pulling the biggest U-Haul trailer they make because we had a lot of junk apparently. All right. Also in the van, beside me, my mom, my brother, and my sister, was a dog, two cats. Okay. All right. I think we may have had a rabbit at that point as well. I can't really remember. Um, so we're, we're driving back, and we're about four or five days into our journey home, and we're in a little uh, desolate place in New Mexico. And long story, not quite as long. Um, my dad ends up having to slam on brakes um, going across a bridge in New Mexico. Why there's a bridge in New Mexico, I don't know, because there's no water or anything. But he's going across a bridge in New Mexico, and my mom apparently can't stop quick enough. So my mom runs her van into the back of my dad's truck, and um, the van um, is immobilized, can't go anywhere. And we get stuck in this little town called Clayton, New Mexico, for like three or four days, waiting on parts to come in. And so my whole family and a dog and two cats and maybe a rabbit or some other kind of rodent. We had a gerbil. I don't know what we had. But all in this little days in hotel room um, in this nowhere place, New Mexico, with no way to get anywhere while we're waiting on vehicle parts. And the only place to eat in the whole town, I remember it was yesterday, was a Sonic. And so we ate Sonic for like three straight days. It's the only thing to eat. And let me tell you, while I was an adventure, 
and it was fun for a little while. We hated each other by the end of that trip. And we were still in New Mexico, and we had to drive across Texas. If you ever had to drive across Texas, bro, my gosh, it takes like 74 days to get across Texas, all right? And there's like nothing but windmills and oil rigs, all right, in Texas, all right? And, and so Paul and Barnabas and John Mark are on this trip. There's going to be conflict. Whether it's between you and someone else on the trip, there's going to be conflict at some point. And we have to understand and we have to see the big picture of, of what we're seeking to accomplish. And we're trying to point people to Jesus, right? We're trying to win people for Jesus. And so conflict is going to happen. If you've been on a youth trip, you know that conflict happens. And it's one of those things that at some point you're going to have to deal with, okay? It's just, it's just part of it. But also, you have to be ready for physical obstacles. This isn't really mentioned here, but if you look at a map of Paul's missionary journey, in order to get from Perga to Pisidia, it's about a 100-mile walk up the mountains and over the mountains. Antioch is situated on the other side of a, a giant mountain range uh, from Perga. And so they had to go through the mountains, and they had to walk a great distance in order to get there. There are going to be some physical challenges there's going to be a point on the mission trip that you go on, there's going to be a point on choir tour or whatever, where you're going to have to do some manual labor. You're going to get dropped off in a warehouse in San Antonio where you have to just like haul scrap metal around for like four hours or something, if you were in that group. Or you're going to have to do yard work, right? Was that me and you? That had to do, yeah, and JT or somebody? Yeah, like mow some old dude's grass with a lawnmower that doesn't work, or paint signs, and you get all muddy and stuff, and... You're going to have to do stuff like that, okay? When you go to Miami or you go on your next mission trip, you're going to have to do physical stuff. And there's going to be problems. There's going to be buses that break down, okay? There's going to be things that happen. There's going to be obstacles that you have to overcome. But we overcome those obstacles, right? We deal with the obstacles. We deal with the conflict because we have the greater goal in mind. It's not like any, unlike anything else where if you want to be a great soccer player or you want to be really good at playing the French horn or you want uh, that, uh, that hot guy or girl on Instagram, you will, you will overcome some obstacles in order to get what you want, right? You will. We, we are willing to work for and work through things when we really desire something. The question is, do we desire for people to know Jesus enough to endure obstacles and conflict? That's the real question. Because we want to be the best at this, or we want to be the best at that, or we want this, or we want that. And if we want it bad enough, we'll endure things for it. But will we endure hardships and conflict and obstacles so that other people created in the image of God will get to hear the truth of what God has done for them? That's the question we have to ask. And so Paul and Barnabas endure this. And we see that Paul endures this for the rest of his life. In just a few more chapters, he's going to be stoned before he's thrown in prison for the first time or the second time or the third time. Are we prepared to endure conflict and overcome physical obstacles? The third stop, they get to this place called Pisidia, which is part of Antioch. Verses 16 uh, through 25, if you're taking notes. What I, what I have here is really the message of the gospel that Paul presents, that Paul and Barnabas present. The first is an introduction, a uh, preparation for the coming of Christ. 
in verses 16 through 25. Here's where the rubber begins to meet the road for us as we go out on mission. And we've talked about this already throughout the book of Acts because it happens over and over again. Are you prepared to be able to tell the story of what Jesus has done in your life and what Jesus wants to do in the lives of other people? Are you prepared to tell other people about who Jesus is? Paul begins to do this starting really in verse 16. He says, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. And he starts at the very beginning. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers Made the people. He begins with the Old Testament and begins to walk them through from the very beginning God's plan and God's purpose, what it looks like. He talks about the kings, he talks about Saul, and he talks about David. And then he makes his way to Jesus, the Messiah. In verse 26 through 37, he gives really what's called a proclamation. He talks about the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He sets it up by talking about the Old Testament, talking about creation. Talking about this plan and this purpose, this design that God has for people. And then he talks about the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But then he gets into this next part, which I would call application. Where he talks about what it means to experience forgiveness. And what Paul will call in the book of Romans, justification. Paul tells these people about who Jesus is and what he's done, and then he gives them the opportunity to respond. And that's really what the application is. Will you respond by embracing forgiveness? <clears throat> so if you, and I know I've said a lot about choir tour, that's just kind of the next mission thing that we have going on. In the, in the weeks after Easter on Sunday nights, I'm going to be coming into youth choir and teaching you this, this strategy for sharing your faith that we're going to use in Miami. It's called the three-circle approach. Okay, not like three-circle church, but it's going to be three circles that you're going to use. And it's going to talk about God's design is the first circle, how God created all things perfectly and the plan that he has for you. But then it says that sin completely ruined that, that design. It rendered it imperfect, flawed, broken, which leads to the second circle, which is brokenness. Creation has now been broken by the weight of sin, and our lives as a result are broken because of sin. But ultimately, we can find redemption through Jesus Christ. And we're going we're gonna to look at this, and we're going to look at how we can lead people in a conversation about this, hopefully so they can ultimately see that there is hope for their brokenness in Jesus. Because if you talk to the guy hanging out in the Bugatti in Miami, right, he's as broken as the person who is sitting on the street corner asking for a glass of water. His brokenness may look different, but it's brokenness just the same. The man in the Bugatti may be struggling at home with his family. Perhaps there's an issue between husband and wife. Perhaps there's an issue with his kids. Perhaps he's driving around a Bugatti so that everybody can see it because there's something else missing in his life. And the man who's sitting on the street corner, right, his brokenness may seem more evident to us, but it's just the same as the other guy. But are we prepared to have conversations with people about their brokenness, be transparent about our brokenness, so that we can then have the ability to communicate the truth of the one who has the power to heal the broken pieces and put them back together? 
which is obviously Jesus. That's what Paul and Barnabas do here. They share this incredible truth of who God is, who Jesus is, what Jesus has done. And says, if you want to find peace, if you want the broken pieces to be put back together, to be made whole, to be made perfect, then Jesus is the only hope for that. It's not going to be found in cars. It's not going to be found in relationships with other people. It's not going to be found in status. It's not going to be found in drugs or alcohol or other vices. It's, it's not going to be found in any of those things. It's on, only going to be found in Jesus. Verse 42, it says, As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them on the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas who as they spoke with them, urged them to continue the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing, and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The last point, there's going to be a mixed reaction wherever you go. If you're standing there singing in front of a group of 100 people, there are going to be people there that, that hate you and don't want you to be there, people that are tuning you out because they think they know everything that you're about to say or to sing, and there are going to be people that just outright despise you, but there are also going to be people who are so in tune with what you're singing and the Holy Spirit's moving in their lives, and they're ready and willing to respond. The same is going to be true if you're not in a crowd, but you're just one-on-one. You have a conversation with a friend at school, and they're very receptive. You have a conversation with another friend at school, and they don't want to have anything to do with you. Guys, it's like anything else in life. People are in different situations. They're at different seasons in their life, and people are going to respond in different ways. And sometimes the voice they need to hear is going to be somebody else's voice. Sometimes they're just not ready to respond. Yet our mission never changes. It's not up to us to decide who's ready and who's not ready. It's not us, up to us to decide who's going to respond and who's not going to respond. Our calling is to go and to share the hope of Jesus Christ to people, with people, and allow the Holy Spirit to work in the way the Holy Spirit's going to work. And that's what Paul and Barnabas do. They share with the Jews. They share with the Gentiles. And finally, these people, some of the Jews, begin to run them out of town. And it says, what does it say? They shook the dust off of their feet, and went on to the next place that God had called them to. You go, you share, you love people, and when God moves you to the next group of people or the next person, you go and you share and you love that person. And perhaps God will bring you back around to the first person who pushed you away. Perhaps God has someone else in store. You're not in control of that. What you're in control of is how you respond to God's calling in your life. How you respond to God's urging in your life. I've been doing this a long time. 
And there are people who I've literally, um, where I've gone and preached at different places, um, spoken, where people have heard me speak for the first time or have had a one-on-one encounter with somebody for the first time, and they responded and they accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior the very first time that I had a conversation with them. It's incredible. It's happened to me in Africa, in Mexico, in Haiti. It's happened in New England. It's happened in Alabama, in Mississippi, in Florida, in Louisiana. It's happened all over the place. But you know what else has happened all over the place? I've had conversation after conversation after conversation with the same people. And they've given me the same look back for years and years and years and never responded to anything I had to say. There are probably thousands of people that have heard me speak at some point, heard me share the gospel, and have never responded. But there are a lot of people that have responded. And perhaps there's some that have responded well after I got done talking when they heard someone else. And yet the mission never changes. We continue to love people in the way that Christ loves people and continue to point people in the direction of Christ. Just like Paul and Barnabas, you're going to see the rest of Acts, and really you're going to see the rest of the New Testament. Paul and Barnabas are out among people pointing them to Jesus. And that's really our encouragement and our challenge tonight, is to love people where they are with the love of Jesus Christ so that hopefully in the way that we love them, in the way that we serve them, and in the things that we say to them, they would ultimately find hope in Jesus. Whether they know they need that hope or not. Let's pray together. (coughs) Father God, we thank you so much, God, for the story we see in Acts 13 of Paul and Barnabas. God, I pray that it would be challenging and encouraging to us (coughs) as believers, God, that we would be able to, God, respond to you in a very similar way. God, there are people in this room, God, who have been all over the place telling people about you. I'm thankful for them. Now, there are some of us in this room who have never shared the hope of Jesus with a single soul. God, I pray that we would be encouraged and challenged to share our story and your story with the people around us. God, even still, there are some of us in this room, God, who have never shared our story, God, because we don't have one. We don't have a story where we've encountered you. And God, so my prayer right now, God, is that not only would those of us who are believers, God, be challenged and encouraged to go and to share who you are with other people, God, but God, if there's anybody in this room, God, who would say, I don't have a relationship with Jesus to share with anybody. God, that they would hear the message that Paul and Barnabas shared 2,000 years ago, which is just as true today as it was then. God, that you created each and every individual in this room uniquely, intimately, and intricately. God, that each one of us, God, was designed with a purpose and a plan, an identity that's rooted in you. And God, because we sin, because we disappoint you, God, because we do things, God, that are completely contrary to your will for our lives, God, we are broken. God, we need you to put us back together. Only you can do that. God, so I pray right now if there's anyone in here, God, that would say, yes, I'm broken, I have sinned, I have fallen well short of what you've designed and created me for. God, that we would also trust that you didn't just leave us broken, God, but you made a way for our brokenness to be restored. God, you sent your son to die for us, that he was broken so that we might be put back together again. God, I pray that we would...
commit the rest of our lives to following and trusting in you. God, I'm so thankful for broken things that you have saw fit, fit to put back together again. God, as we sing this next song, it's a song about how your love just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to the human mind, God, that you would love us in the way that you love us. And God, so as we stand together and we sing these words, God, I pray that we would just simply celebrate the fact, God, that you love with such a selfless love, a love that isn't worried about what anyone else may think or say, God, but you loved us with such a love, God, that cost your son his life so that we might be restored and put back together again. God, we love you and ask all these things in your name. Amen. Y'all can stand and sing this song.